0: I hope the following program gives you a new perspective on who God is, who you are, and how you too might find forgiveness, healing, and hope in our Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening.
1: scripture is um, we're still in Mark chapter 1 verses 21 through 34. For using a pew Bible, it's page 990. They went to Capernaum and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth have you come to destroy us I know who you are the holy one of God be quiet Jesus said sternly come out of him the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek the people were all so amazed that they that they asked each other what is this a new teaching and with authority he even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was.
0: All right, kids, now it's time to go out to Kingdom Kids Celebrate. So if you are kindergarten through fifth grade, go on out, room 232. So well-behaved. There we go. Now we got some stampeders. Have a good time, Dane. Uh, many of you know I was in the Navy. Some of you might not know that I served with the Marine Corps, and I served 2nd Marine Division, 10th Marines, 5th Battalion. It was an artillery battalion. Uh, so you see those huge howitzers. They, they still hook up a string, actually, and boom, pull it. We actually have, um, call them cannon cockers, we have one of them right here, Marty. Uh, so he knows exactly what, I was ta- what I'm talking about. There was a time where I was in charge of what's called the Battalion Aid Station. I was uh, the head medic in a group of other medics and I had a desk in the main office. And one day I was sitting at my desk with my feet up, my boots crossed on the desk reading the Marine Corps Times. And I'm chatting with my buddies, we're goofing around, saying funny jokes, being idiots probably. And I'm telling a story and laughing, and suddenly everything grows quiet. Now, normally when somebody important walks in, they call attention on deck. Everyone stands up. It's loud. You know that somebody has just come in. Either I did not hear it, or somehow the man snuck in, but there standing at our door was the division commander, a general. Okay. Now to understand, for those of you who don't understand about the structure in the military, it's basically like my boss's boss's boss is boss is boss's boss's boss. Okay. This is. Uh, it might as well have been a senator walking in, or for the president, for all that matter. You know. So I put my paper down. I see him. I jump up. He says, "Are you comfortable, petty officer?" <laughs> and everything in me wanted to say, "Sir, I didn't hear you. I apologize." Well, behind him stood the battalion commander. My boss's 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 boss. And all he said was, My attempt to give reasons to speak why I was doing what I had done were silenced by the authority of that man who threatened me with one finger and no word that he would crush me if I said anything. Again, the general asked, Are you comfortable? Again, the battalion commander put his finger up behind me, behind him to me, said, don't say anything. So then the general says, we must have a mute person here, and I'm dying. I'm stuck between these two men and these two authorities. Finally, I answered the general, and I said, I knew I had no excuse, so I couldn't answer. But he put his finger up on my lips and told me not to say anything. Which then the battalion commander said, "I got something for you." It turned into a big thing. It was actually pretty funny in the end. I look back on it. At the time, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> "Stuck between two authorities." That feeling of not knowing what to do, of being trapped. If I do one thing, I'm in trouble. If I do the other thing, I'm in trouble. All the while, they're trying. One's getting me to speak, and the other one is getting me to shut up. You see. Like me and my need, my desire to speak into a situation, to talk when I was not supposed to talk probably, we in our lives have voices that need to be hushed. But we're trapped between seemingly two authorities, between a rock and a hard place. You see, we need to understand what it means to silence the voices in our lives. Whether or not we're going to see in today's passage, you've already read it, we're going to talk about the demonic realm and we're going to talk about the disease realm. Sometimes, We listen to these voices and we act in ways that we think will make us better. Let me give you a few examples. We might have a recurring or obsessive thought that we are struggling with. Something that tells us to maybe commit a habitual sin again and again. Or something that tells us about a lie, about who we are. You know, you're nothing. I can't believe you did that. What kind of of Christian are you? I know many of you have probably heard that. I've certainly heard that. Or maybe a troublesome symptom or a pain. Maybe you're struggling with a chronic disease. It just will not be quiet. It seems like no matter what you do, the voice remains. And it might even get louder or more troublesome. Today's text is going to tell us that as the Son of God, Mark really goes to pains throughout his whole gospel to teach us this. But today especially, he's setting the stage for the truth that Jesus as the Son of God has authority over demons and diseases. Often the voices in our lives that we try so hard to get rid of, but always seem to be there. We need to know that we can go to Jesus to silence these voices, to hush these voices. Otherwise, what we might be tempted to do is to find other means of silencing them. We might go to the doctor. We might say, I have this troublesome symptom before we have gone to Jesus. We might say, well, this person is a voice in my life who just constantly speaks and is never silent, so I'm going to eliminate myself from this person's presence without first going to Jesus. We need to understand that because Christ has authority over every voice in our lives that we need to go to him first. And so as we look at Mark 1, 21 through 34, we see Jesus beginning the ministry that started in yesterday's, te- or last week's text, with a bang. He goes into Capernaum. Capernaum was a city, or is a city, now it's an uh, archaeological site, on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. It's actually so, it's, it's my favorite place in the Holy Land. It is, um, it's huge by all accounts. It's probably, it's not as big as Jerusalem, but it's big. You get there and you're surprised how large it is. There's these dark basalt structures all around houses for fishermen who lived uh, there and for other people. Uh, and, And in Capernaum, there is a huge synagogue made out of white imported limestone. So of all these dark stone structures that are, now they're just foundations, but dark stone structures throughout the city of Capernaum, the village of Capernaum, there's this large white ruin of a synagogue, of a synagogue there. It's a wonderful place to see. So let's look at verse 21. It says they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught with one who had authority, not like the teachers of the, of the law. You see, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath. It says he immediately goes into the synagogue. So as soon as he gets there, he's there for a purpose. He's there to speak the truth. And it says that they were amazed. It says he spoke with one who has authority, not like the scribes. Let me tell you a little bit about scribes. Scribes were men who were tasked with being Torah experts. So experts in the Jewish law and how it applied to everyday life. Not only that, they settled disputes that occurred within the community. They ran the synagogue, though they often did not teach like I am right now. And they were also responsible for um, often transmission of God's word, of the Torah, okay? Their authority was real. Their authority was real. When we read it here and it says they taught not like the scribes, it's not that the scribes had no authority. In fact, the authority is is that they would walk through the towns in which they lived and people would give them the best place. They walked into the synagogue. If you were up front, that person knew, get up because that's where this person needs to sit. It kind of fills out our teaching and understanding of what Jesus says when he says when you're at a dinner or when you're at a function and somebody new comes in, get up, lest you be put at the back. Let that person uh, have the, the first place, the first place. The problem is, is that scribes were known for splitting hairs, okay? A pedantic nuance. This idea of every little jot and tittle meant something else. And so when it came to -to day-to-day life, you needed them. You didn't know how to live otherwise. Do I do this? Do I do that? The scribes were the ones who had worked to make all of these distinctions, very fine distinctions, probably more distinguishable. They probably made them even finer. The scripture says that these people lost sight of the spirit of the law by focusing on the letter of the law. And we see this even today. A lot of these laws are hundreds, even thousands of years old, but in the Sabbath laws. When I was in Israel, I stood at an elevator on the Sabbath, waiting for it to come. There was an elevator here and an elevator here. And this Jewish family came up and saw me. I mean, I'm obviously not Jewish, and I'm standing there, and they, and they guided me to the other elevator. At first I thought, oh, they just don't want me on their elevator. I don't know. There's, it was the Sabbath elevator which means it stops at every story because hitting the button on the Sabbath is a violation of the Sabbath law. You cannot start, it really stems from the Old Testament, you cannot start a fire. You cannot kindle a fire. The idea that a switch moves electricity across, that is kindling a fire. And so they got from do not start a cooking fire to don't press a button on an elevator, okay? But it doesn't stop there. There's other Sabbath laws on writing, on erasing, on tearing paper, business transactions, riding or driving in cars, shopping, using the telephone, turning on or off anything which uses electricity. There's that kindling of fire. Including lights, radios, television, computer, air conditioners, alarm clocks, no cooking, no baking, no starting a fire, no gardening, no grass mowing, no doing laundry. That's a bit. So when you hear the prohibition on keep it holy, you shall not do any work on the Sabbath, it turns into this. The scribes were largely the ones who made all of this happen. There's a whole other category that happens on the Sabbath called Muksa. Muksa are items that we can't even, that Jews believe you can't even move on the Sabbath. So if you can't use the phone, you have no reason to pick a phone up and move it from point A to point B. Your cell phone's on the table. If it's underneath something you need, come see me Saturday at sundown. Okay? You can't even move it. But, on top of all of that, there are some creative ways that you are permitted to move some of these items. Like, for instance, blowing on it. Or moving it with an elbow. Okay. we need to understand is that these intentions were good at the beginning. It was a desire to honor the holiness of God and his word about doing no work on the Sabbath people started getting involved and said well if that's good this will be really good and they begin dividing up that law more and more and more until pretty soon you have all of these restrictions now you see when Jesus comes and says i fulfill the law you are free from this what what a radical idea that was for the people who heard his message the people that heard his message So they hear Jesus speaking. They're astonished that it's something new, that it sounds nothing like they're used to. And uh, and as he's preaching, a man cries out in the synagogue. 23. Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by, Stephanie read unclean, impure, same word. It's a Greek word, but they can be translated in two ways. But an impure spirit cried out. They say, what do you want from us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. You know, an impure spirit is another way we can read it of just saying somebody who's demon-possessed. This raises an important question for us today. Is there demon possession today? I've got to be honest with you. There are times when I'm driving in my car and I might be stopped at an off-ramp from the expressway and there's somebody standing there, panhandling asking for money whatever and they might be talking to themselves now unless they have a bluetooth device in their ear and they're having a conversation with somebody I'm unaware of they're talking to themselves they're talking and not more than once it brings me back to the parrot to these gospels and to the text here about times when there were people who were possessed by a demon who would react in ways that seem eerily similar to things that we see day to day sometimes Short answer is, is yes, demon possession still happens today. There's nuance to that answer. As Bible-believing Christians, we often want to make everything a demon. Everything. We need to be careful of that. As human beings, we were made with spirits, bodies, souls. We were made as a holistic unit. And all of those units work together. You've heard me say it, and I'll say it again, is that sometimes when our spirit gets sick, our body sneezes. There is a connection, because God made us as a singular, unified whole. The other side of the spectrum is we say, no, there is no demon possession. It's all some sort of mental health crisis. So then we seek all of our help from the mental health community. Now, I was involved in the mental health community. I had mental illness. I still struggle with things from time to time. I've been down that road by itself, and I know that by itself... It fails to meet essential human needs. We were created for Jesus Christ. The answer is both. When we are struggling with a demonic, let me get a little further here. My belief is the scripture teaches that those who are saved cannot be demon-possessed. That the Spirit of God who resides in them is greater than the Spirit who is in the world and because of that, They are safe. I do not need to tell any of you that there is obviously something called demonic oppression. We probably have all had it. I mean, have you ever been driving in the car and a horrific, amazing, where did that thought come from? Pops into your head. Or you might have a recurring theme in your life where you hear a voice again and again, maybe not an audible voice, but a sense. You're no good. Jesus doesn't love you. You're never going to get over this. You might as well give up. Kill yourself. These voices are real. And I believe that many times they are caused by demonic oppression. But we need to understand that Jesus has power over both. That regardless if the issue is purely spiritual, if there were such a thing, or purely mental illness, if there were such a thing, Jesus is the answer to both. How we get there, we can talk about. Often Jesus uses means. Jesus uses people. Jesus uses prayer and worship and community to bring us to the place that he wants to bring us. But it's often more complicated than we simply say, it's it this or it's this? It's often both. Why don't we see more demonic oppression here? Why don't we see more demonic possession here of unbelievers? seems like in the Bible they're everywhere, doesn't it? It's like every page you turn, there's another possessed person. Why don't we see that here? It's a great question, and I struggle with this question because initially it makes me think, well, maybe they're seeing demonic oppression or depre- uh, of, uh, possession as something else. and They just don't know, so they call it that. After all, it's 2,000 years old. But then that brings God's Word into question. Is God's Word true and real? Can I trust it, or is it just the creation of men from 2,000 years ago who wrote... This is what I think it is. And I believe in the Bible, there's some support for this. We do not need possession in the West, in the United States, because we can make a mess of our lives on our own, first of all. Okay? We don't need any help to dishonor God in this country. C. S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screw Tape Letters, and in, in the book is a a book of it's a fiction book. <laughs> of one demon writing to sub-demons about how the sub-demon can best irritate and distract the person to whom they're assigned. And in there, one of the items he tells them to do is say, don't don't go crazy on him, don't possess him, don't make it as if we do not even exist. And that there is value in believing that there is no supernatural. I want you to think about for a moment here in this country, if we suddenly had an, an outpouring of what we see in the Bible as demonic possession. What would the world think? They might be tempted to say, maybe there is a supernatural realm. Maybe there really are demons and God. In many other countries, sometimes uh, third world countries, their belief in God and the spirits is so much stronger that there's a real battle going on. Here in the West, pretending that they don't even exist is the way that they've already won. And so we need to be willing to acknowledge that yes, demonic possession, the supernatural in our lives, even as believers, is real in that oppression occurs. I say that because some of you might be walking around with things for years and years wondering, why can't I get over this thing? I need to take another pill. I'm not against medication. I need to go to another therapist. I'm not against therapy. I need to check with my doctor. I need to talk to more people, go to more support groups, go to When in the end, the answer, the missing piece, is a spiritual issue. Is a spiritual issue over which only Jesus Christ has authority. Only Jesus Christ has authority. He said, you know, the demons say, I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God, Jesus of Nazareth. The reason they knew that is because He made them. Do you realize that? Jesus made those demons. At one time, those demons were angels, and they were tasked and worshipped the Lord God in the heavens, and they were dedicated servants, angels. They were angels of the one God. Scripture says a third of them were cast away when Satan rebelled, when Lucifer rebelled, and those third were cast to the earth. And that they pledge allegiance to the archangel Lucifer. So when Jesus is standing before these demons, we know who you are because he created them. John 1.3 says, All things, all things which made, were made through him and without him was not anything made that is made. Demons are created beings. Jesus created everything. Jesus created Demons. That's why we are not helpless. If Jesus was capable of creating them in the first place, certainly Jesus is capable of driving them out of us. Certainly Jesus is capable of preventing them from oppressing us. Certainly Jesus is capable of interacting in the lives of our, of our families and of those we know and love. He made them. And this is why Jesus can say this. And they know their fate. Silence. Silence. Be quiet. I like to think he just... Be quiet. We make this mistake of thinking that Jesus is matched against the evil forces. And it's this one for a while, we'll say here, maybe in America we're tipping this way. And at other times it's more like this. The truth is, when it's all said and done, the last analysis, they're not even on the same planet. At the end of days, Jesus is going to stand at the Battle of Armageddon and say, enough. And in one breath of his word, every resistance of every enemy of God will be done once and forever. That is the God we serve. Amen, that's right. That is the authority of the God we serve. And so Jesus says, be quiet. Be quiet. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Can you imagine that scene? Imagine here at church. Imagine this church. Somebody comes in and visits. I'm up here preaching. Suddenly someone cries out. Can you imagine what we would think? If your first response in your mind is this, this person has a mental illness, it's probably wrong. There's power in the name of Jesus. When we speak the truth, when we sing the truth, when I preach the truth, it has power here on Sunday and in every moment of your lives. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be scared. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Well, if you would be amazed, so were they. It says the people were also amazed that they asked each other really, the word is disputed. There were some unbelievers. What is this? A new teaching. And with such authority, he even gives orders to the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly to the whole region of Galilee. So Jesus comes into the synagogue, takes a demon-possessed man, and frees him. They declared it must be something new. I want you to think about this astonishing idea. I want you to think about the idea of this man, and many might have known him coming in and casting out a demon. Imagine you and your family are terrorized by a gigantic muscle-bound heathen who lives next door. He's violent. started where he was just throwing his trash in your yard and he was playing his music too loud with him and his buddies, but now it's getting really bad. One day, he knocks on the door. You make the mistake of answering. And in walks him, barges in, and his ten buddies, bigger than he, and they say, we're moving in here. You try to fight makes it worse. You try to get out the door, they block your way. You try to call for help, they cut the phone line. You tell your family, you know what, let's just do as they say. Let's just not make any waves. It'll be easier for us in the end. Just do as they say. One day, one of the cronies goes to the door. He hears a knock, he opens, and immediately he falls to the ground and says, please don't hurt me, please don't hurt me. You can't see who's at the door. It's got to be a bigger crony. Is it the boss? Who's there? You hold your breath, and in walks in Brad from down the street. Brad. You grew up with Brad. Brad. You know, Brad, you went to parties together. He was a super nice guy, super sweet, but it's just Brad. We all have known him. Yet Brad walks in, out. They fall over each other to get out the door. They cry on their way out, and you are finally freed. Finally freed. Would you be astonished? Here's Jesus somebody who grew up in Galilee, somebody who grew up in Nazareth, a backwater town by all accounts, that people knew. He looked like an average guy. No one thought that he had the authority. But later on, after Brad walked in, would you look at Brad differently? Yes. Because even though Brad looks a certain way, acts a certain way, you know his history, you realize for whatever reason, he's got authority. He has authority. The problem with us This problem with the church struggles with generally is that we look at Jesus too much like we've heard about him, we grew up with him. Yeah, we know about him, he's a pretty nice guy, but he doesn't really have any power. And so we never, by faith, tap into it. We never, by faith, tap into it. Instead, we keep him in the realm of every day we hear him. Think about it, every day we read our Bible, every day we sing a song, every day Sundays we come to church, we listen to Moody, we do all these things, right? We all do these things. And I fear that our understanding of the authority in our Savior gets watered down. Gets watered down. So the first principle, long intro. James Ford Jr. on Moody says, he does this all the time. He'll go first long point. He goes, I'm I'm just going to drop him. I'm not going to push him. He'll do one point and then in two minutes do the other six or whatever. I'm not going to do that, but... First principle for this morning, Jesus has the authority to hush the demons in your life. Jesus has the authority to hush the demons in your life. Now, there are undoubtedly areas in your life that need to be hushed. Maybe you are feeling spiritual oppression. I feel it. I feel it. I said it before. I'll say it again. I think I have a target on my back. So I feel it. But it's certainly not the only place that I need voices hushed. I need voices hushed in my emotional life, my feelings, what I'm thinking about, my relational life. Sometimes there's interactions with people that demand more attention when I don't have the energy to give it. Or behavioral demons, habitual things that I just don't want to do anymore. Jesus has the authority over each and every one of those demons in your life. Each and every one. The hushing of demons begins with our justification. We were declared innocent at the time we placed our faith in Jesus. We were in prison. Jesus gave us pardon papers, set free. Doors open, guards move out of the way, Jesus comes in, you are set free. All you had to do is believe in me, you did, here's your sheet. We live our lives in cells with open doors and barking guards, but with pardon papers in our hands. We keep ourselves in captivity when we do not need to. The scripture says that when we believe in Christ, we are free. And free indeed. That means you're free. It doesn't mean a little free. It doesn't mean sort of free. It means free. I've come to the understanding that when we are saved, that when we are set free in reality, God's reality, because God looks upon us and says he's innocent and he's set free. But it doesn't feel like that to us, does it? I mean, we still struggle with things. We still struggle with disease, we struggle with doubt, we struggle with mental illness, we struggle with spiritual oppression. I think the Christian life is all about getting our minds and hearts to realize what is really already true the moment we are saved. I think many of us struggle with some of the same things again and again is because we lack faith. We lack faith. Jesus is asking us to embrace the truth of what he has done and say, yes, I'm free, but... There's guards at the door barking, you're not free. Don't you walk through this door. Don't you go down that hall. And we've been in captivity for so long, we believe them. But the authority of our Savior, the one who has set us free, has told us that we can walk out. So how do we walk out? Sometimes it's very simple. Believe that we can walk out. Trust. Trust is the answer to 99% of our problems in the Christian walk. I can tell you that. The question is, are you trusting Jesus? Trust. Sometimes there are other areas in our lives that need to be addressed. We need to step out in faithful obedience. We've been doing something. And part of our freedom is to stop doing it. I've got to tell you, if you're waiting for Jesus to make you feel like not acting a certain way, you'll never stop acting that way. Jesus has told you you've been empowered to change. So change. You can do it. You can step out. You have the power. We have to believe it because it's in the authority of Christ that we have it. We might have to confess things that we've been holding on to that have been burning in us and giving us shame. And we might just need to repent. But these are not the means of our freedom. We've already been granted freedom. The cell door is open. These are the means that we walk out. So walk out. There's a new word, the culture's changing, there's lots of, whatever, the culture's changing. With the new culture comes new terms, okay? There's a term called deadnaming. Deadnaming is a term where you intentionally call somebody who's transitioned to another gender or name by their old name, maliciously, okay, deadnaming. Get used to it, you're gonna hear that word more. It's a new term. This is an old trick. Satan has been deadnaming believers from day one. The moment you are saved, you are given a new name, Child of God. And Satan comes in and talks to you by your old name, Child of Sin. Child of Sin, my slave. We need to embrace the truth that Jesus has set us free, step out of that cell door and embrace it to know that when we trust him, we will find freedom because we are free indeed. Let's look back at our text. 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon Peter. This is really cool. In Capernaum today, you can see the home of Simon. It's a little octagonal house that around it was built a church in the Byzantine area. So it's like a little building with an even littler building inside. So they go to this house to do ministry, but Simon's mother-in-law is sick. Well, it makes sense. The house is only... I mean, the house might be as big as the back of the stage. It's not a big house. You're trying to do ministry. You're trying to cast out demons. You're trying to heal people. you got this woman with a fever in the middle of what you're trying to do. Jesus heals her. He has the authority to walk up, take her by the hand, tell her to get up, and it says the fever left her immediately. Jesus' healing touch. The fever left and she began to wait on them. Now, tradition holds that this woman, Peter's mother-in-law, was named, I want to get it right, Glyphus, not Gladys, Glaphis. And she was something of a scoundrel. Believe it or not, tradition says that she was related to Herod Agrippa by marriage. She was not a believer. I wonder if this is the moment that she sees Christ for the first time and is converted. She goes from being Glaphis the scoundrel to Glaphis, the daughter of God who served the master when he healed her. You see, we're all called to do that. When Christ comes in and heals us, our first response is to get up and serve him. Is to get up and serve him. Jesus can do this and heal her disease because he has the authority as her creator. So our second principle, Jesus has the authority to hush the diseases in your life. What does this mean for us? Do we believe this? There are times I think that we pray, Lord, we say something like this, Lord, and I'm not, just listen to the prayer. Lord, we pray for And we ask if it maybe be in your will that if you see fit, that you would bring doctors into this person's life and that they would have wisdom and discernment in treating this person and that they would get just the right medications and there would be no side effects and this person would be healed. How about Jesus in in your power, in your name, Heal this person. You've done it before. We believe you can do it again. Heal this person. And we start with the idea that Jesus has the authority to do it. We live there. What if life were lived there? Jesus can do it. How might all of our lives look different if we started there and we ended on the other ways? Just a thought. You see, God allows us to be sick sometimes. It is true. Nothing passes through God's permissive, loving will that he has not intended to be there for us. Sometimes it's for the very purpose of us moving us to call upon him. Other times it's because, well, he says it's good for us. We don't know. When we become children of God, God takes even the diseases in our lives and uses them for his glory. The Apostle Paul Uh, was struck with some sort of disease. He called it a thorn in the flesh. And he prayed several times. It says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, this is Paul saying, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Sometimes Jesus' way of hushing a disease is to not take it away, but to give us the grace to not be distracted by it. It's common with drug addicts, people I deal with, recovering drug addicts, to have a reservation. Maybe some of you have this in other areas of your life. I'm going to be obedient or not do this disturbing or troublesome behavior unless this happens. So, I don't know, for me I might say, yeah, I'm going to stay clean. Unless Laney goes to be with the Lord, then I'm going off. I'm going to do what I want. Or maybe I'll stay faithful. Or maybe I won't do this behavior unless we, we predetermine. We hold on to a reservation in our life about what it's going to take. I don't know where I was going with that. It was a good run-up, though. (laughs) So take it for what it's worth. That happens. If that's happening to you, know you're not alone. Lots of other people have those thoughts. You should talk about that with somebody because you do not have to live there. All right. All right, let's look at the rest of the text. I'll probably remember it, the end of service announcements. "'That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases.' He drove out many diseases, but he would not let the demons speak, or drove out many demons, but would not let them speak because they knew who he was. After sunset, I think it's interesting that this is in here. It's like, here's this guy casting out people. Why don't they do it during the day? It's like, once it gets dark, we'll go to Jesus. Sometimes we do that. We want to go in secret. We don't want to just come out and say, well, I've tried this. You know what, I'm, to go to, I'm going to go to Jesus. Instead, I get a phone call. Pastor, can I see you? Nothing wrong with that. But what is our where is our heart? Are we seeking to boldly by faith to come before the Lord and to ask him to heal us or are we hiding still? You know, it says he healed various diseases and he cast out demons. I want you to know that nothing is beyond the purview of what Jesus can do in your life. Nothing. We will say, "Well, Jesus can heal this, 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 cast out this type of demon, help with this mental illness." and he fixed this relational problem in my family, but this, this, and this? No way. (laughs) I'm totally on my own. Everything. Everything can be given to Jesus. He has such authority that he would not even let the demons speak. Speak. If you're wondering about that, it's because I think that God had a plan. And if those demons declared too loudly, too soon, who this was, it would mess up God's plan. There was a timeline that had, to be, that had to happen here. All right. The people of Capernaum witnessed the power of Jesus and brought others for that same healing. So that's number three. Bring those around you to Jesus. Bring those around you to Jesus for his healing. Jesus has authority. Our authority is derived from him. So part of me saying we should stand and believe and declare that we are truly healed carries with it this idea, if we're not careful, that it's our authority. That it's our authority. But it's Jesus' authority. We must never lose sight of that. We try to marshal our own powers against that which is oppresses those around us. We, we talk to them more. We try to be a better counselor. We give them good suggestions. All of that's our authority. Jesus' authority. What does he say in his word? What does he want us to tell these people? Sometimes it's simply praying. There are many times I talk to people, I talk to you guys, I don't know what to say. But I know that it's, whatever I'm going to say, I mess it up. So I just pray. Let that be a habit for you. Someone shares, I don't know what to say, pray about it. You can always pray about it. Sometimes it requires a more comprehensive approach and investing time in people. And sometimes we need to be brought to Jesus. Sometimes we're not the ones bringing. Sometimes we need to be there. We need to be there. So we need to be brought so we can share our struggles. We can ask for prayer. We can ask for spiritual care when it's necessary. We, can, uh, we need to ask others to call on us. Dang. We need to ask others to call on the one with authority. We need to ask others to bring us to Jesus. So when you're here on Sunday morning, we have a whole room full of people. Hey, can you pray for me? You don't even have to tell us what it is. If you went up to anyone else in this church, this is your family, and said, can you just pray for me? We'll just say something God will pick it up and fix it the way it's supposed to be when it goes up there. But you've started interacting with your brothers and sisters in a way that they are bringing you before the Lord. Okay, hushed sermon, rushed sermon. I'm trying to learn how to use this here, so I apologize. I love that you guys are Grace Bible Church and not Judgmental Bible Church. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about the conclusion. Jesus has the authority to hush the demons in your life and the diseases in your life, and so therefore we need to bring others and have ourselves brought to him for his healing. We can look at Jesus just like we look at Brad, the person we grew up with. We know all about him. We don't see his power and his authority. Or we can look at Jesus as who he really is, the creator of everything, the one who created the demons in in our lives that plague us, the one who created us, who knows all about the diseases and the struggles that that we have. Let's start going to Jesus. I want to be a church. Don't you guys want to be a church that we are on fire for what Christ has done in our life and what Christ is doing in our life? All of this, we can have this, faith. Let's embrace the truth that we are set free and walk out of the cell doors. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this word. We pray, Lord, that you would give us a vision of who you really are and how free we really are. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the grace that we need to take the steps uh, that you set before us, Lord, to walk out, to leave, to no longer be held captive. We thank you, Lord, for the power that you have in your name, and we thank you, Lord, for the authority that you bestowed upon your son, our big brother, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray.